open your Bibles to Proverbs 14, Proverbs 14 and verse 34. Proverbs 14, 34. I've been praying and I had a, a message I wanted to bring today. It was, the title was God Bless America. I thought that was a good message for the 4th of July. And, uh, but I was just kept praying, Lord, what do you want to say? What would you say to America? We're hearing a lot of things going on in the news and different things. But God, what would you say to America? And I got to wondering about that. If God had the opportunity, if they came down and interviewed viewed him and just, you know, what do you have to say to America? I said, what would that be? And I really felt, I heard these words in this proverb, in Proverbs 14, 34, that says, righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a disgrace to any people. And that was it. You know, think about the Lord. He says what he means and he means what he says. He don't have to mix any words. He's just pretty direct and pretty straightforward. And I got to thinking about that. Got to meditating on it because I already had what I thought I was going to preach. God bless America. <laughs> well, I heard that and I got to looking at that and I thought, well, Lord, that's, uh, that's pretty heavy stuff. Righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a disgrace to, uh, to any people. And... Uh, I got to thinking about the word righteousness, and, and I broke that down as I, I looked at that short little scripture, I broke it down into four different things about a nation, thinking about our nation. And this applies, of course, to any nation, but, um, you know, in fact, history is littered with um, failed nations from Nineveh, uh, the Egyptian dynasty, to uh, Greece, the Grecian Empire, the Roman Empire, they've all failed. And you look at the fall, and, and it really it was internal. It was when they exalted themselves. And these words, righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a disgrace to any, any people. You know, you get to thinking about it, and it really is true. And I thought about America. America was established upon godly principles and has done, been such a great nation and a world power. But things are changing. Things have been changing. And so, uh, as I took some notes, I wanted to share those notes with you this morning as we break this little verse down into four different things. And the first thing that I saw was the righteousness of a nation. Thinking about that word righteousness, it means morally right or justifiable. Righteous means morally right or justifiable. You know, it's, it's a word seldom heard out of church. I haven't heard any of the politicians when they're making their campaign, campaign speeches or anything talking about righteousness, right? I don't ever hear that word on the news, do you? I hear it in church, but that's about the only place I hear anything about righteousness. Um, you know, it's probably because it implies uh, some things. When you think about righteousness and you think about being morally right or justifiable, it, it uh, implies that there is a, a sovereign being that sets these standards. And, you know, people today, I don't know... <laughs> Well, I'll just talk about America today, but uh, I don't really think that our nation and the people of our nation want to recognize that there's a sovereign being, a sovereign God who has a standard that needs to be followed. We want to do what we want to do. And we want to believe what we want to believe. And, you know, in fact, if, if they even think about the word righteousness, I think that there's varied ideas of what righteousness might be. We could... In our own, in our own mentality, in our own human nature, we could never in a million years um, agree on what righteousness is or what unrighteousness is. That would be our opinion. So there has to be a benchmark someplace. There has to be someone who sets the standard and something that sets the standard and then that you move from. But 
I found, I think, as I look around at our nation today, I don't think that our people want to acknowledge that. You know, God is the authority on righteousness. In the 71st Psalm, in verse 19, it says, Your righteousness reaches to the skies. O God, you who have done great things, who, O God, is like you? You know, he's made his righteousness known to us. In the 98th Psalm, verse 2, it says, The Lord has made his salvation known and revealed his righteousness to the nations. When nations are, have to give an account and stand before God Almighty, they cannot say, oh, well, we didn't know. No, he made his righteousness known to the nations. The thing is, is that nations have rejected his righteousness and, and adopted their own standards of righteousness. The other thing that righteousness implies, not only does it imply that there has to be someone sovereign that oversees this, it, there has to be a standard, as I said, said a while ago, a benchmark. There has to be a standard and, you know, something used to measure. What, how do we measure righteousness? If, there's, if we can't acknowledge that there's a measuring system, so there has to be a standard of righteousness from which we determine what is righteous and, so we can then decide what is unrighteous. But if we throw that out, then how do we know? Right? You know, if... You went out to, on a building job. They were in here building, and we wouldn't allow them to have any tape measures. Oh, no tape measures are allowed in here. You just have to, you know, we don't want to limit anything. You know, we don't want to, um, you know, insinuate that anything's wrong. So just build it. I'm sure that wall would look like this, right? <laughs> One person would say, that's long enough. You know, the other person, no, 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 it needs to be longer. How do you think that would come out? But if you have a standard, if you have, you know, a tape measure and you say they're all going to be cut, you know, at, at 12 feet and then that's what everybody cuts them at 12 foot. You know, even then, that, that at least you have a standard to go for. You know, God's word reveals his standards. But we don't want to acknowledge God's word today as a nation. In Psalm 119, verse 40 says, How I long for your precepts. Preserve my life in your righteousness. David said, I need your precepts, I need your principles, I need your word. So that, you know, and he says, uh, my, preserve my life in your righteousness. So that I can determine what your righteousness is, and, and then, I can, then you can preserve my life in your righteousness, in your standards. Society today doesn't want a standard. They don't even want to acknowledge that one exists. And, you know, I think this is the main reason that uh, the word of God has been attacked and ridiculed and... and um, you know, just pushed aside by unbelievers. It's, um, it's amazing because our founding fathers relied so much on the Word of God. I went back and did a little reading about our founding fathers, and I love, to, I love history, and I, I really like the, uh, seeing the real truth about our founding fathers. You know, we're not really taught... In, in, in school about their convictions and their religious, their religious convictions, uh, that's all pushed away. That's why history is so boring, you know, in school because you have to cut so much of it out and not talk about the true convictions and what this nation, what their passion was for establishing this nation. And, you know, our founding fathers, uh, there was so much of the Bible uh, that they held and they esteemed, and it was in their writings. And so here, just some notes that I jotted down. The Bible was found to have directly contributed to, to 34% of all the quotes by the founding fathers. Uh, it was discovered after reviewing 15,000 items from our founding fathers, including newspaper articles, pamphlets, books, monographs, 
um, various things. Uh, and then the other main sources that they looked at, the founding fathers quoted from, was Montesquieu, uh, Blackstone, Locke, uh, Pufendorf, these people that they quoted for, and they themselves took 60% of their quotes directly from the Bible. So direct and indirect quotes combined reveal that 94% of all the quotes of the founding fathers are derived from the Bible. Wow. We don't see that today, do we? You know, our forefathers chose the righteousness of the Bible as its guiding light and as its blueprint to found and to build this nation on. You know, our, our Constitution is founded upon the Word of God, this standard of righteousness. John Adams in 1798, I want you to listen to this quote, that, something that he said. John Adams said, We have no government armed with power capable of contending with human passions unbridled by morality and religion. Avarice ambition, uh, ambition, revenge, or gallantry would break the strongest cords of our Constitution as a whale goes through a net. Our Constitution was made only for a moral and religious people. It is wholly inadequate to govern any other. So is it any surprise that you hear our leaders today saying, oh, the Constitution's outdated. It needs to be revamped. It doesn't apply anymore. It was just, it applied to them and what they thought at that particular day. Like John Adams said, it wasn't de designed for anybody but a religious people. People that had convictions of what righteousness is. Holding to God's standard. And when you hold to his standard, then it works. And this nation works then. The righteousness of a nation. So, hmm. It makes, you know, righteousness exalts a nation. So you have to go back and say, well, how righteous is our nation today? Where is righteousness found in our nation today? Or is it found in our nation today? The second thing that I jotted down was the reward of a nation. Where it says righteousness exalts a nation. You know, who can doubt that America has been exalted above, among the nations? You know, but like Nebuchadnezzar in Daniel's writings, some Americans or maybe most Americans think that it's because of us that America is so great and that it was exalted and, and what we do and what we're, what we're doing. Um, it's, we kind of had this mentality that we somehow deserve the greatness and the power of our past, that we just deserve it, and that's who we are. And really, that's a sad mistake that we're making. Alexis de Tocqueville was a, fr a famous uh, French uh, statesman, historian, and social philosopher. He traveled to America in the 1830s to discover the reasons for the incredible success of this new nation. Already seeing such progress and success by the 1830s, he published his observations in the classic two-volume work, Democracy in America, and I want to quote from that. He says, in the United States, the sovereign authority is religious. There is no country in the world where the Christian religion retains a greater influence over the souls of men than in America. And there can be no greater proof of its utility uh, and of its conformity to human nature than that of its influence, its power, powerfully felt over the most enlightened and free nation of the earth. In the United States, the influence of religion is not confined to, to manners, but it extends to the intelligence of the people. 
Christianity, therefore, reigns without obstacle by universal consent. He goes on to say, I sought for the key to the greatness and genius of America in her harbors, in her fertile fields, in boundless forests, in her rich mines and vast world commerce, in her public school system, and in institutions of learning. I sought for it in her democratic congress and in her matchless constitution. Not until I went into the churches of America and heard her pulpits flame with righteousness did I understand the secret of her genius and power. He goes on to say, America is great because America is good. And if America ever ceases to be good, America will cease to be great. The safeguard of morality is religion. And morality is the best security of law as well as the surest pledge of freedom. The Americans combine the notions of Christianity and of liberty so intimately in their minds that it is impossible to make them conceive the one without the other. In 1830, he was saying that. Wow. We've come a long way, baby. <laughs> hmm. America has been exalted because it was founded upon righteousness and because of its citizens' goodness and personal holiness. You know, there was a standard that was set. It was righteousness that comes from God and comes from his word. People held to that. It's, America has been exalted because of great churches that preached the truth and talked about God's righteousness and instilled that in, in the people of America. And it was because of past obedience to this righteousness and, and to God's word uh, and humility in the hearts of of mankind in this great nation that America rose to the place that it rose. You know, this word exalted, uh, let's look at it just a little bit. It, it, um, an exalted nation is set apart, is, would it be the meaning. Uh, one meaning of the word exalt means to lift up, to be lifted up and to be made high. Uh, you know, the Bible tells us that God is lifted up, his word is lifted up, but a nation being lifted up? Yeah, he says righteousness exalts a nation, lifts it high. We can look back over history and we can see how America, by being established upon the foundation of God's word and his righteousness, it was exalted, came to a high peak, you know? And, uh, you know, it, it became a world power and recognized as a world power rapidly. In the 37th Psalm, verse 34 the psalmist says, wait on the Lord and keep his way, and he shall exalt thee to uh, inherit the land. That, that came true for America. Abraham Lincoln said, it is the duty of nations as well as of men to owe their dependence upon the overruling power of God and to recognize the sublime truth announced in his holy scriptures and proven by all, all history that those nations only are blessed whose God is the Lord. There's another statement I didn't jot down from Abraham Lincoln, but he's talking about the Civil War, and, he, and he's talking about how that, at that point where they had stepped away from some of the righteousness and they began to, you know, throughout pride and, and various things had come to a point, and, and he believes that that's what brought America to that conflict of the Civil War. But upon that, because of who America was and the foundation of America, and out of humility turning back to God, 
uh, stayed together, didn't fall apart throughout that great calamity of that civil war. You know, I don't think there's any nation in history of the world which has been lifted up or exalted more than America. The United States dominated the history uh, throughout the 20th century and, uh, you know, militarily, economically, uh, spiritually, even politically rose to world power. An exalted nation is also um, a safe nation. Not only is it, a, is it set apart, but it's a safe nation. Another sub-meaning of the word exalt is to raise high as an uh, inaccessible fortress, out of the reach of danger. The 32nd Psalm, verse 7 says, Thou art my hiding place. Thou shalt preserve me from trouble. Thou shalt compass me about with songs of deliverance. When you're following his principles, his principles come into effect for you, and that's what, has, what happened to America. God surrounded and protect America, and America was safe. You know, many nations have been destroyed by their enemies or even by God himself through natural disasters, through plagues, through pestilence, through war, um, through unbelief. But America celebrates tomorrow will be 240 years, which is pretty amazing. 240 years as, as a nation. And, you know, what a testament to God's protection and his preservation. So, an exalted nation means it's set apart, it's high, it's lifted up, it's, it's a safe nation. Uh, this word exalted also gives the, the thought of a strong nation. It's, it's uh, to triumph over enemies is what uh, it comes out of this exalted. You know, if we just look through history, uh, the history of America, it's going to reveal God's hand of protection watching over us in war and in peace. It, just think of the odds of the colonies defeating this world empire, the British Empire at that time. It, we weren't as strong as we are now back then. Just some measly colonies and some farmers, people that came together to say, we want freedom, we want liberty, we want to be able to worship God, we want these things established as a nation. This is what we want to live under. And there was no way in the natural realm that, that those colonies could ever defeat Great Britain. Yet, what happened? It, it did happen. They did defeat this great world empire. And when you read the writings of our fathers, George Washington, they, they say the, the providence of God was with them. And time and time again, just seeing his hand of protection upon them and, and just helping them. It's a testimony. And we don't see those things. We don't read about those things. You know, um, we were a strong nation and it didn't seem like that, that there were, anything could touch us. But you know, after prayer and, and Bible reading were taken out of the school back in, what, 67 or something like that? We, we, when was it? We lost our first war, Vietnam. We became a, a, an embarrassment to the world. As a world power, we came out of that like, who? This is America? Can't, can't, can't win over this small little country? The first time in the history of our, of our great nation, immediately after we said, we don't want the standard of righteousness, the word of God. We don't want prayer in school. We might offend someone. Took it out of school. What happened? Never had there been an assault upon this nation from a foreign country 
since the time of the, world, the war of 1812, when Great Britain came in that war of 1812 and burned our Capitol building uh, there, and uh, there had never been a foreign enemy upon our soil until September the 11th of 2001. Now we have attacks, we have, you know, there's police and, and, and military on high alert through the cities of our nation this weekend because of the threats of terrorism that are coming to us. Thank God that, you know, we don't hear about all the ones that they do discover and, and uh, prevent, but it's happening a lot. They don't want, I don't think they want us to know how many of these acts of terror are being prevented in our, in our nation or people would be for sure would be scared. But people, that never happened before because we were exalted by God. God held us in his hand and he protected us. But it's happening now. We've stepped away from God's righteousness and from his standard. In Psalm 144, it says, Blessed be the Lord my, my strength, which teaches my hands to war and my fingers to fight. Blessed be God. But we, we stopped doing that. We stopped acknowledging God. Righteousness exalts a nation, but sin. It goes into the next portion of this verse. But sin. That brings us to the revolt of a nation. But sin is a disgrace to any people. Sin brings us to the depressing aspect of God's promise to any nation. Sin is a reproach or a disgrace to any nation or to any people. And just as sure as righteousness exalts a nation, sin destroys it. It doesn't take a rocket scientist, I don't think, to take a look down through history and to see where we are now, to see when, we, when God was blessing us and when he raised his hand. Thank God that we still have a foundation that this nation is built upon. But people, we are, it's, we're being strained to hold it together, I feel like. The truth is that God is, will judge sin. He always judges sin. He's a righteous God. He's a loving God, but he's a righteous God. And he will not turn his back on it. He won't forget about it. It's like my dad. We'll be out doing something, whatever, and all of a sudden he's like, when we get home, you're getting a whipping. Well, it might be an hour, two hours, three hours later. I think, yeah, he's forgotten now, you know. I'd be all nice, you know, and in the car trying to talk and everything. We got home. Let's get upstairs. Oh, no, man. It's like, get that tunnel vision. You know, he remembered. I'm going to tell you, God's like that. He won't forget. He forgives. But we have to turn to him. Let's take a look at this thing. It's sin. It says sin is a disgrace to the people. The Greek word for sin means uh, to miss the mark. It's like an archer shooting and uh, misses the target and, um, and won't share in the prize. You know, there's a prize for hitting the mark. Well, righteousness is that when you hit the mark of God's righteousness, then you share in his salvation. The truth is that uh, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. But there's sin in our life, and there's none righteous, no, not one, is what the Bible says. So in our own righteousness, we can never hit the mark. But through the righteousness of Jesus Christ, we do. We hit the mark through him. But it's only through Christ, by God's grace. So sin is present. and is always there to destroy, to separate us from God. Um, in fact, in Romans 3.23, it says, For everyone has sinned and falls short of, the, of God's glory. Or in one translation, it says, of God's glorious standard. 
So on our own, we're going to miss God's standard. And when this nation rejects God and rejects his word, there's no way that it can hit the standard. There's no way it can hit the mark. You know, I used to be a pretty good shot throwing. Uh, I've had two surgeries on this right arm, and we were doing something working around here, and I was going to throw something up the ladder, and it went, I'm like, what? (laughs) What happened there? (laughs) Wow, you know, I need to be practicing up a little bit. We went out to bowl. I went out with the young adults to bowl. I, and I'm like, okay. And it was all here. You know, it was in the mind, knowing exactly what to do. And I'm like, whoa. And the ball goes over there. I'm like, what? what's up with that? <laughs> That's not the way it's supposed to work. You know? It's amazing. And, you know, this nation is kind of like that. We had the mark at one time. We had the target at one time. We were able to hit the mark of God's righteousness because we had it as a standard. But now it's kind of like, what's up with that? We can't hit the mark. Uh, we've been swayed to believe a different mark, that, that there's something else we ought to shoot for, like tolerance, and we need to just be good. And if you're just good, if you're just good to everybody, then that's going to be fine. Well, there's goodness in God, and goodness is one of the fruit of the Spirit, but it's only through His righteousness that we have that type of goodness. But I want to tell you something. You can be just as good as you, uh, as you can be and go to hell. There's going to be a lot of good people go to hell because they have not accepted Christ and they're not, then they, there's no way we can hit God's mark in our own. And there's no way that a nation can hit God's mark, his standard, his bullseye without being founded upon those truths and following them. You know, we can get close. Yeah, well, as they used to say, close only counts in horseshoes and hand grenades, you know. It, it, it doesn't work in righteousness. We're bound to fail because it's only through the flesh. And missing God's mark is the result of just a careless shot at the target. You know, America doesn't demand greatness of itself anymore. Uh, We don't honor what is good and right. We've confused what is right and what is good. Um, You know, we seems like we honor and reward what is evil and what is, or what is perverse. You know, the bad guy is now the norm and the good guy is the potential hypocrite, so to speak. In Isaiah chapter 5, verse 20, the Word of God says, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Woe to those who are wise in their own eyes and clever in their own sight. Hello. I'm sorry, but America Day is missing the mark. Calling what is evil good and what is good evil. I mean, we got to have... Remember a few months ago about this restroom thing because of gender identity? Excuse me? I mean... It's very clear in God's Word what He says He made male and female. And it seems like that we adopt those things to be tolerant. We just need to be tolerant. I'm sorry. There's something wrong with that. When we begin to uphold the perverse above what is right. You know, another meaning of sin is to stumble, to err from the path. You know, our stumbling and our erring from the path comes from just a false security of a careless attitude. Again, that we're just trusting in our own goodness and, and what we think, and we don't want to hurt anybody's feelings or 
whatever, you know, if that seems right to you, then I don't have a right to infringe upon you. And okay, but that's not going to be the standard. That shouldn't be the norm. That should not be the standard. You see what I'm saying? Where does our government come to be able to make laws that says that's the standard now? Wait a minute. What about the law of God that supersedes those things? Getting real quiet in here now. I just want to tell you that I feel this is the heart of God that has to, has to take a, a side look and can't even look upon this nation when we take stands like that. So God can't look upon sin. And when we make a standard like that that is completely contrary to what the Word of God says, God has to turn His face from that. Is it any wonder then that we find ourselves in situations that this nation is facing now that we've never faced before? And my goodness, the times in the, that we're entering into, the days ahead that we're entering into, we can't afford to be on our own. We can't afford to be endorsing things like that. It will cost us. It's costing us now, but it's going to cost us even more in, in the future. Psalm 59, verse 12 says, For the sins of their mouths, for the words of their lips, let them be caught in their pride. Ouch. See, this is why that people that want to live in sin, want to live in darkness, they don't want light because light exposes darkness. Have you ever noticed that? Maybe at work or something. You had not done anything to anybody, but they know you're a Christian. And all of a sudden, they're all upset at you. What's up? I didn't say anything to you. What's up? It's just because your presence there is light, and light dispels darkness. And they don't like that because it, it, it makes them aware that there's a standard. And they don't want that standard. They want their own standard. We want to do what's right in our own eyes, as it was in the days of Noah. Hmm. That's where we're heading. That's where we are, I believe. 1 John chapter 3, verse 4 Whoever commits sin also commits lawlessness, and the sin and sin is lawlessness. In Thessalonians, the the man of sin, the antichrist that comes upon the scene, is the man of lawlessness. He's coming. The spirit of antichrist is lawlessness, antichrist against Christ, the opposite of Christ. When you throw out righteousness, when you throw out the standard of God, then you're accepting something that's opposite of. God, opposite of Christ, anti-Christ. Excuse me. But there is a spirit of antichrist or lawlessness that is hovering over this nation, and not only this nation, but many nations of this world. Righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a disgrace to any people, is a reproach to any nation. So there's the righteousness of a nation, there's the reward of a nation, those are great things. But then there's the revolt of a nation, it turns to sin, and that brings us to the reproach of a nation, where it says that sin is a disgrace or reproach. The Bible uses disgrace and, and reproach interchangeably throughout, throughout the word, and different translations use different ones. But Psalm 44, verse 3 says, You have made us a reproach to our neighbors, the scorn and derision uh, of those around us. You see pictures in foreign nations and burning our flag and, and um, they have these, um, looks like, you know, these stuffed 
dolls or whatever images of of our leaders, our you know our, our president, and different things, and they're burning them, you know. And we're a reproach to other nations. They laugh at us and and say, "Oh, what a hypocritical nation that this America is." You have made us a reproach to our neighbors, the scorn and derision of those around us. God didn't make us that way, but when we leave him, then that's what happens. Oh, great nation, yeah. Where are we headed? You see, to, to a Muslim and, and to their standard of holiness and righteousness, we are infidels. And what surprise is it the way that our nation is acting and performing today and you know, the character of some of our, our leaders, it's amazing. No wonder they hate us. You travel abroad, you can sense it. When we were in China, uh, we were with this one young lady. She was about 29 years old, and she was from Mongolia and was talking about how that her parents had disowned her uh, since she became a Christian. And, and I said, well, why? She said, well, because it represents, you know, America and, and, and Great Britain. And I said, why do y'all hate us so much? Well, you know, I get, why do you hate us so much? And she said, well, that, you know, they still remember that when, like, Great Britain can, would come and to, into certain nations to conquer them, that they would bring in, you know, all of their armies and destroy everything, and then they'd bring in the missionaries. And they associated it together. And uh, I never thought about it, but that's what, you know, that's what they still remember. That's what they look at. And, and but that, just that hatred, and of course it's, it's, the spirit of lawlessness, it's the spirit of, you know, it's the devil that hates this nation too because this nation is, what, is and what, was and is founded upon the principles of God. And he hates that. He's doing a pretty good job of pushing us away from that. You know, it seems like that the heights of sin in this nation are higher now than the standards of righteousness. It's a sad thing. God is bound to judge sin. And uh, he won't turn a blind eye to America's sin. Psalm 44, 13, you have made us there, he says, a, a reproach to our, our neighbors. And we're seeing that happen. Reproach, disgrace, means loss of reputation as a result of dishonorable action brought low. We're seeing America around in 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 the world setting, really being brought low and laughed at and mocked and, and uh, not esteemed as high as what it once was. Hosea chapter 7 verse 16 says, They do not turn to the Most High. They are like a faulty bow. Their leaders will fall by the sword because of their insolent words. For this they will be ridiculed in the land of Egypt or in the land of the world. Ridiculed. And that's what's happening. That's another word for, for reproach is ridicule. And, um, you know, we're seeing that. We were the richest and most developed nation in the world, but we are ridiculed by much of the world. It's a sad thing. You know, the Muslim nations, the communist China, have little respect for us, and they have little respect for our system of government, our culture. Our only hope in America is Jesus. And... Uh, uh, Christians must stand up for what is right. People will have to give an account for what we did during dark times. And the church can't afford to be asleep during this time. The Bible says, Awake thou that sleepeth and arise from the dead, and Christ shall give you light. He will give us the light that's necessary to dispel the darkness 
of this time of, that we're living in. Jesus said this, turn to, in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 5 and hear the words of the Lord. Matthew chapter 5 verse 13. This is what he's saying to us as, as believers now. He says to, the, to this nation, righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a disgrace to any people. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 13, it says, You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled by men. Verse 14, You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men, that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. We are to be salt and light during this time. When, you know, when there's meat, when they would, back before refrigeration and everything, that was a purifying effect of salt. It would purify and do away with all the impurities. We as believers in this nation need to be salt that helps to rid of the impurities. We need to be light that helps dispel darkness. When the, the Israelites came across the Jordan, they were confronted with Jordan, uh, with, with uh, Jericho, powerful city, great wall, uh, being impossible, impossible to, to invade or defeat this, this city. And God gave them direction. They did what he said to do. Jericho fell, and they celebrated tremendous um, victory that they had. The next city on up the road was a little, little city called Ai. It's spelled A-I. And so they said, hey, look, we, we don't need everybody to go. Let us go up and check this out. So they went out and checked it out and said, oh, it's just a little city. In fact, we don't even take all the army. We'll just take a few up there. We'll just take two or 3,000 guys and go up there, and we'll be back in no time. They went up there, and they were routed, and they were mocked and made fun of and they came back and and this great victory that they'd had at Jericho the news spread out all through that land and everybody was afraid of of the Israelites and and uh, Joshua and so it was working good for them but when they failed at this little town Ai then everybody said well if Ai can do it we can do it who these Israelites think they are who they were backing up they were going to make way for the Israelites and give them uh, let them come in and take their inheritance but not now not since they failed at Ai and why did they fail? Joshua chapter 7, if you want to turn there. Joshua chapter 7, verse 11 from the New King James Version. It says, Israel has sinned. This is what God is saying. You know, like, what, what happened? We had such a great victory at Jericho. What happened, America? We had all these great victories and world power. What has happened now? And God says to Israel there in verse 11 of Joshua chapter 7, Israel has sinned, and they have also transgressed my covenant which I commanded them, for they have even taken some of the accursed things and have both stolen and deceived, and they have also put it among their own stuff. Therefore the children of Israel could not stand before their enemies, but turned their backs before their enemies because they have become doomed to destruction. Neither will I be with you anymore unless you destroy the accursed from among you. They took some things, some objects from Jericho, and, uh, and they hid them and took them among themselves. And basically what it was, there was sin in the camp. I want to tell you something, people. As the, as the church, as believers, we can't afford to have sin in our camp. 
Because it's going on out here, we can't afford to take the philosophies and the, the, the beliefs and the things that, that the world is, is giving into and our nation's giving into and bring them into the church and say, it's okay. We can't, you know, there's churches today ordaining gay and lesbian and transgender priests and pastors. Excuse me, that's totally against the Word of God. But we're bringing it in. We're bringing it into the church. And there will be, God will judge the church. Where are we going to be, like Christian Center? Well, I can tell you, as long as I'm pastoring this church and leading this church, we're going to stay to the standard of God and His righteousness and His standard. If, if it's a remnant, then we'll be the remnant. But even though it's a little light, we've got to let that light shine, amen? Because of sin in the camp. People, we can't afford to have sin in our camp. We've got to be careful. We've got to watch it. In our culture around us, yeah, it's, it's rotten. Our society is eaten up with evil. But, you know, we can't have Christian Aikens. That was the one that had stole the stuff and brought it in, Aiken. And they took him and his family and all of them. They took them out and got rid of them, stoned them. And, you know, they, they purged uh, that nation and they become great again. You know, we've got to, we've got to be careful of what we adopt and what we begin to listen to and what we begin to say, okay, I guess that's right. You hear something long enough and often enough and you begin to believe it. That's why we need the Word of God and we need to hear what the Word of God says. We've got to get back to His standard. You know, a little economic thing, um, a lot of people, there was a lot of different things people talk about when John F. Kennedy was killed or assassinated and some of the things he was doing. And... Um, but one of the thoughts is that uh, also is that he put us back on the gold standard and they didn't want to be on the gold standard because that was too rigid and they wanted to be off the gold standard so that they could have more liberty, more freedom to expand because that's a narrow standard. That means that you've got to have it backed up. You've got to have that gold backed up for every dollar that you produce. But if you don't have to worry about that, you can just keep producing dollars. What are we doing now? We're just, we're just producing dollars. They have Charlie teach some things on economics and where Christians stand on economics. We just if we need more money, we just produce more money, and we find out that a dollar is not a dollar anymore because there's no standard. And if we don't, if we're not careful, that's what righteousness becomes. And and Christians begin to adopt that. And and righteousness today in the church, universal or in America, and many nations, righteousness is not what righteousness used to be because there's no standard there. That's why we have to have the Word and base it upon the Word of God. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, I'd encourage you to turn there. 2 Timothy chapter 3. I don't usually announce when I'm about to be finished, but I'm going to be finished here in about 10 minutes, so you're going to get out early, to, maybe. That's what I'm going to do now. The Lord might have something else after that. But. 2 Timothy chapter 3. Verse 1, the Apostle Paul is telling Timothy, that young pastor, this. He says, but mark this. There will be terrible times in the last days. People, I believe we're in the last days. And I believe we're seeing some terrible times. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to, to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the form of godliness but denying its power, have nothing to do with them. Do you see 
any resemblance to where we are today with what the Apostle Paul is saying that was going to happen in the last days? I see it all around us. And people, we can't buy into that. He says, have nothing to do with it. We can't afford to allow that type of mentality, that type of standard to infiltrate the church and that we give in to that. We've got to be salt and light. That doesn't mean that you go out here with your 15-pound Scofield Bible and slap people around in the head and knock them down and say, turn or burn. I'm not talking about that. You live a life of righteousness. Let your life speak for the standard of God. Now, people won't like that. You don't have to say a word. You can just live holy before them, and they won't like that. You don't have to be holier than thou. You can live your life and, and be, you know, just be a happy, you know, person like you are, and they still won't like you. They crucified Jesus because they didn't like that. They didn't like that standard. They didn't, and they won't like that, you being like that either. But that doesn't make any difference because we're not after popularity. We've got to have the standard of God. Second Peter chapter 2, Peter says, in verse, starting with verse 1, he says, but uh, there were also false prophets among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you. They will secretly introduce destructive heresies, even denying the sovereign Lord who, who bought them, bringing swift destruction on themselves. Many will follow their shameful ways and will bring the way of truth into disrepute. In their greed, these teachers will exploit you with stories they have made up. Their condemnation has long been hanging over them, and their destruction has not been sleeping. Be careful on the YouTube. Be careful on various places of where you can pick up somebody preaching and somebody prophesying, brother prophet or sister prophet or this or that or whatever, all kinds of stuff that people are having. And it doesn't have to line up with God, with the Word of God. It's just, oh, God just gave me that. Well, if it doesn't line up with the Word of God, then God didn't give it to you. It has to first line up with, with the Word and with His standard that He has. And yes, God is giving us a word for today, you know, bringing specific instruction, but it has to line up with what He's already spoken here. Be careful because he's, the Word of God tells us that there will be false prophets out there. I heard some strange stuff, and people send me some stuff. Check this out. I'm like, are you serious? People are doing this? Be careful about, you know, who you're listening to, what you're watching, what you're taking in. It's, we've got to be careful during this time. Well, let's wrap this up. America is great and has been great because of God, Amen. not because of anything else. Amen. And if we fall, it will, because of, it will be because of our failure to honor God as our sovereign authority and Lord. You know, do we have to watch our beloved land become mired in the slew of compromise and unrighteousness? What are we to do? He said, well, what can we do? And, you know, that's kind of where I found, found myself before the Lord, just shaking my hand and almost feeling kind of hopeless, like, well, what can we do? And there's nothing we can do. We've got elections coming up. It's like... Is it going to matter? You know, does it matter anymore? You know, what we do is like, it, does it really make a difference? And, you know, God said, you, you got to do the right thing because it's the right thing to do. you got to take a stand because you're the one I'm counting on to take a stand. If nobody else stands, you got to stand. Now, the results, you have no control over the results, but you will be judged for your actions. 
You can't say, well, it, I don't think it would have made any difference. Well, you don't know. And it might not seemingly make a difference, but one day we will have to give an account for our every word that we speak, every action that we do. And if he looks through and it says that God sought for someone to stand in the gap and he couldn't find anyone, and then he says, oh, he steps up, here I am, Lord, send me. One person, one person steps up and does the right thing, then God will honor them. Well, do we vote? Absolutely we vote. If it, you know, say, well, it doesn't make a difference. It'll make a difference in eternity because you did the right thing. It might not make a difference in the outcome of the election. You might not see it make a difference, but it will make a difference when you do the right thing. This nation was founded upon those things, and as, as citizens, Christian citizens, we need to do the right thing. So what would God's personal message be to America today? Righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a disgrace to any people. That's his word, and that's, this nation will have to align with that and, and be accountable to that. But what would God say to his church today? What would he say to us? Immediately I heard 2 Chronicles 7, 14. If my people who are called by my name shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. Now my eyes will be open and my ears attentive to the prayers offered in this place. I have chosen and consecrated this temple so that my name may be there forever. My eyes and my heart will always be there. We need to pray. And we need to turn from our sin, humble ourselves, seek his face, turn from our selfish, rebellious ways. You know, what, what do we need to do and what is he saying to us? We need to take our position in the courts of heaven and we need to pray. Pray for our land and resolve to do our best to make America great again. I believe it's up to us. It's, you know, it's, it's our watch. I don't think we can see in that dimension what the prayers of a believer do. But the Bible says the effectual, fervent prayers of a righteous man or woman avails much. In fact, in Thessalonians, was talking about the Antichrist, the lawless one. It says that he that hinders will hinder until he's taken out. Now, I believe there's a remnant of believers that are salt and light that humble themselves and pray, that know how to enter the courts of heaven and stand in the gap and intercede for a nation and says, God, we repent and stand in the gap for this nation. Hold back your judgment from this nation. That's why we need to know how to come into the courts of heaven. Because we represent the kingdom of God and we represent a nation that we come to, to, to intercede and stand in the gap for a nation. You say, really? Yes, really. And our prayers do matter. They do accomplish much. Never let the devil tell you that it's not worth it, that what you prayed about was not worth it. Amen. We've got to carry on a new struggle for our country.
the country that we love. You know, we've got to push hard against an age that's pushing hard against us. We've got, you know, I, I jotted down a thought here. If we have full employment and greater economic growth, if we have cities of gold and alabaster, but our children have not learned how to walk in goodness, justice, and mercy, then the American dream that our forefathers fought so hard to bring about, no matter how gilded, will have failed. Just to end this with these words from the, the Apostle Paul in 1 Timothy chapter 2, Paul says this, he said, I urge then, first of all, that requests, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving be made for everyone, for kings and all those in authority, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. This is good and pleases God our Savior, who wants all men to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. The rest of those words I read when I was teaching on the courts of heaven that follow that, that statement right there, talking about Jesus, the one mediator before God and man. It's important. So what is God saying? He says, now then, stand and pray. Come before my throne. Intercede for this nation. Intercede for our leaders, for our president, for our Congress, for those that are in authority over us, for our governor, for our state government, for our city government, for our, you know, we're to, there to pray. We used to have a thing I hear we call it our, our hall of prayer. We had all our official, we had pictures up here from the president all the way down to our city council. And it was just a reminder as we walked through that hall out there to pray for them. We, we don't have that up there anymore. Maybe we need to have it up there. I've got some autographed pictures from some of these presidents and various things to like Christian Center. And we prayed on a daily basis. I still pray for those that are in authority over us. We need to pray. Well, well there's some of them not worth praying. Oh, they're the ones that really need prayer. <laughs> They really need prayer. And boy, I hold them up as prayer trophies saying, you know, devil, if we get this one, <laughs> you're going to lose a bit, you're going to lose a lot out of your kingdom if this person comes to, to, to Christ and, and they begin to follow you and God's righteousness. So we need to pray. That's what God's saying to us today as his church, that we need to set the, 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 he set the standard of righteousness. We need to follow it and we need to take our part and that is to stand up and pray. Pray for those that are in authority over us. Pray for our nation. Stand in the gap until he takes us home. And I believe that God will restrain from bringing the fullness of his wrath upon this nation. It's going to come. And we're going to see some, some not that it's not going to be some tough times because decisions will be made that are not made from God's standards. And we'll suffer the consequences just like natural consequences come. But yet, what we do and how we stand in the gap to pray will make a big difference. So I challenge you today. Like I said, we've got to push hard against a, in a time when it seems like that we're being pushed hard. But don't surrender. Don't retreat. Get in the fight, I guess is how they would say it. Get in there and do it. And let's see this nation be great again. Can we do that? Let's pray together today. Heavenly Father, it just seems like that there's just, it's like a, a drop in the ocean sometimes when we stand to pray when we come before you to pray especially when we think about praying for our nation when we think of maybe how far that we've drifted from your principles but father the the forefathers of this nation surely they felt that awesomeness and could have been so easily overwhelmed when they looked at the task before them of trying to establish this nation 
can't be that much more for us today to stand in the gap and pray and to see you work miracles. Help us to do our part. Help us to be faithful in doing what you've called us to be. Help us to be salt and light, to be that purifying factor. Lord, we can start by just every, our loved ones and those that we come in contact with, that they would begin to be aware of your righteousness, get saved. It starts one soul at a time. We can stand in the gap and pray for our nation and seem so overwhelming and, and not know whether it's making a difference. I know that it will. And then we need to act in the sense of winning the lost and developing the saved and continuing to do that that you've called us to do. The harvest is great, but the laborers are few. But we're praying and asking the Lord of the harvest today to send forth laborers. Father, this place ought to be packed full today. But we know that it says in the last days that men will be lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God. All these things. We're seeing them. That ought to be a sound, that ought to be an alarm to us that we then need to be alerted to take our watch of prayer and do our part even more. And we're today, while we're not, while we're just praying, nobody looking around, you, just to the Lord, if you'd say, Father, I'm going to do that. I'm going to start praying for those that are in authority over. I'm going to pray for this nation. I'm going to begin to intercede. I'm going to go into the courts, your courts, and stand in the gap and intercede for our nation, for our military that's standing out and on the front lines, and even the, how our military is making concessions. That's why we need to pray even harder. Praying for our leaders, praying for those that will be elected and for what they've got to do. And praying for our state government, our city government. For our church and leaders of our church. People, we've got to do it. It's going to make a difference. You just acknowledge to God that I'm going to start doing that, God. I'm going to, your words tells me I need to do it in 1 Timothy. And I'm going to do it. I'm pledging to do it today. I'm going to be a freedom fighter I'm going to be a freedom fighter. I'm going to do it with your strength and your power through prayer. Amen. How many of you would covenant to pray for this church? Pray that we fill this place up. You know why? Because people need to hear the word of God today to be able to stand in this day and hour that we're living in. It's only going to get darker spiritually. It's only going to get darker. And we need to come to the light. And so I ask you to pray. Pray for this church. And watch for divine opportunities to be a witness. You don't have to be so... You know, don't be angry. And go out there and try to, you know, argue somebody into the kingdom. <laughs> Love them into the kingdom. Amen. That's what Jesus did. Amen. Let your light so shine that men might see your good works. And glorify the Father. I challenge you to do that today. Let's win somebody to Jesus. Amen? Amen. Let's stand this morning. Hallelujah. Well, we've got a big weekend coming up. And uh, enjoy. Enjoy the holidays. Enjoy your time together. Your family time. 
Pray for those that are traveling. Not a lot of people on the road, so pray for those that are, are traveling. And uh, let's do our part. Amen. Praise God. Uh, amen. Let's, let's just pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you for this time today in your presence. Thank you for the opportunity to look into your word. Thank you for the challenge that you've given to us. Thank you for speaking to our hearts. And Lord, let us now go forth. And as we do, be our strength and be our guide as we trust in you. And we give you thanks as we go to be light that dispels darkness. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. God bless you. Thanks for coming today.